Greetings, lovely listeners. You are listening to Saga, a podcast where a dude and a chick discuss art and animation. Thanks for coming once again to our saga podcast, Month of Miyazaki. Before we get our show started, I'd like to apologize for last week. I may have damaged some some of your ears, and I'm truly sorry about that. But anyway, let's move on to the news. In our first news story, Akira is getting a live action film, as well as a new animated series. Uh, the animated film will be directed by Taika Watiti, who you may know from Thor Ragnarok. And it's being produced by Leonardo DiCaprio, which is interesting, very interesting. And the series, um, uh, Katsuhiro Otomo, who made the manga and directed the 19... 19- 80 something movie is coming back for the series so uh, I think these projects are in good hands and I'm really looking forward to them in our next news story Kiki's de- de- delivery service celebrates 30 years um, this uh, the the tw- 29th of <clears throat> this month so that's perfect timing once again uh, it seems like we picked a really good month to do this uh, Miyazaki thing. Like that's really cool how we just, like it's, it's a new news story every week with something Miyazaki and that's pretty cool. And we also have another news story. Um, Isao Takahata, uh, who is like one of Ghibli's um, big names. He is getting a major exhibition in Tokyo um, running through October 6th of 2019 or or now through October 26th or October 6th of 2019 at the National Museum of Modern Art in Tokyo as well as season two of Agretsuko is now airing on Netflix but um, that's nothing new but we felt the need to Here anyway to pat the the runtime of this podcast. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to the to the uh, story, the main story. Spoiler alert: This audio may contain spoilers, so please proceed with caution or an open mind. I don't care. All right. So, in 1987, Ghibli got the rights to the to make the uh, film version of uh, Kiki's D. Livery Service, which was based on a book by Aiko Kadono. And yes, so it's based on a book. And it took them two years. Uh, it came out in 1989. But this film had sort of a, a rough start because it, it it originally had a different di- director. And Miyazaki being him, he wasn't satisfied with how the project was turning out. So he... D. So he chose to like take over 
and then um, yeah so he uh, sort of put his his stamp on it and more unpleasant things happened when the uh, writer of the original book she she wasn't s satisfied with how the story was was turning out so Miyazaki um, took her to uh, hit to, to the uh, studio and he showed her some of the process and what was going on and she allowed it she allowed it and um, the rest is history yeah it it, it came out the 29th of 29th of July 1989 grossing over 2.15 billion yen at the box office and it was like uh, the highest grossing film not just animated film but film uh, of that year um, yeah but anyway the story um, is is about a young witch who leaves her her home she leaves her her home her family to like go somewhere like she travels to learn stuff <laughs> and and she stumbles across this this like small town and much like Miyazaki's works he he sort of uh likes to meander around and like tell a very like a very uh non-plot driven story like he sort of likes to explore the story um as it goes so really it's just about a girl uh you know handing things out to people with her <laughs> cat <laughs> yeah um, i guess if you, I, I, so i had a conversation with a co-worker about this like anytime i try to explain the plot of any miyazaki film in words it's like the weirdest explanation for any plot ever yeah can can you give me an example like something else so i was trying to explain nausicaa to him and the the description i said was along the lines of there's this like futuristic dystopian era where there's this girl fighting giant bugs trying to prevent these other clans from factioning against each other but i think it was the giant bugs part that really messed me up mm -hmm. yeah uh, what did the bugs do in that movie again like i i kind of feel like they were just there like they didn't so they're the out. omu and yeah. they're kind of like all-knowing beings i guess like they're almost like gods of the land and they make the toxic forest, but they also defend it and protect the land. They're, they're just what that's just what they are. They're just giant bugs to protect everything. Yeah, we we probably should have talked about this like two weeks ago. But anyway, back to Kiki. Um, all right. So my thoughts about this is uh, is that all right. So my first thought was, ha have you noticed how? Miyazaki does this like hair float thing. Yeah. You know? For some reason, that bothers me. I don't know why. You mean it's like underwater it, hair float? What's that? It's like underwater hair float. Yeah, but it's like when a character is excited or angry, like their hair will just like float up. 
it's like Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I actually wonder if that's where where they got it from. That that's that's interesting. I don't know. But uh, Gigi, her cat, actually kind of reminded me of Salem from Sabrina the Teenage Witch in the dub. Absolutely. Um, yeah, because because actually the dub version, uh, Gigi is a bit more like like cynical and and sarcastic, but in the uh, in the original, it's it's more of like a cautious cat, like a cautious, nervous cat. Hmm. So they kind of uh, took some liberties with that for the dub version. But the dub version uh, is voiced by Kirsten Dunst, uh, who you may know from Spider-Man, Mary Jane. Uh, so, so, the, so, so witches are basically common knowledge in this world. Like, like no one's really afraid of them. Like, they all think they're pretty cool. Uh, that's interesting that that's a different take because... Usually in like fantasy stories with like a modern twist, witches are like hidden and, and like feared. Kind so of taboo. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Which leads me to, to think that, okay, so Tombo, the boy, like I kind of got this feeling that he he really only liked Kiki because she was a novelty, like something new. And and I think that that novelty will eventually wear off or... You know, okay, so it's okay. So, if if there were say like five witches uh, flew in flew into to town, would he still choose Kiki because he likes her, or would it be someone else? Does that make sense? I think the answer is that we don't know, but I think that is addressed in the film by Kiki. She says that you know, like he only likes her because she's a witch. Well, there you go. And, yep. uh, question answered. <laughs> all right. So um, let's see. Uh, all right. So this was a thought that I had when I was watching it. So Kiki is doing exceptional work. You know, she's uh, taking packages from here and there, you know, uh, giving pe- pe- people their food and, and like their laundry and stuff. And she's doing it very fast. Um, so basically she can... Like she's earning lots of money and she's basically like putting other couriers and stuff out of work. Like, like, like she could, like, like she has her, her own empire built in, in this, in this small town. And, um, that may like, like mess up the ecosystem, not the ecosystem, but the economy. Economy. (laughs) I don't know. But, uh, I mean, that's surprising that more townspeople are not, angry at her pushing yeah like per putting her out of her own business yeah um everyone's pretty nice in this town um but uh okay so what's her name anso the person that took her the the pregnant woman that took her in i kind of felt that like her and ursula and maybe even tombo they were kind of taking advantage of her did you get that impression yeah, but she signed up for it. This is her She's chance what? to learn. Kiki's, this is the, her chance to learn mm-hmm. about the world. In the movie, she's like a 13-year-old girl, which is like the number for girls to go and experiment and learn new things about wit, you know, witchery. So this is her experiment of life. 
and people are definitely taking advantage of it. But you know, yeah, because there was this one line that Hanso said that um, when Kiki lost her her powers, like she couldn't fly, and Anso said like, "Oh, I'm sure they'll come back," or you know, like, like <laughs> the way that she said it says, "Oh, if her powers don't come back, you're out. You're no no longer living here." And it kind of had this like sinister tone to it. <laughs> I mean, she's this big old pregnant lady. She can't be affording to take care of strays. That's fair. That's fair. Um. But anyway, uh, okay, so there's this like Japanese trope or, or like a thing that, okay, so basically every anime character that, that, uh, that like stays in the rain for too long, they get sick and I've stayed out in the rain many times and I've never gotten sick after. So I wonder if just uh, Japanese have weak immune systems or if this is just like a trope, like a funny thing. Um, I think it's just the rain. The rain? Like it, the rain is toxic, so it makes them sick. In all, But it's in all anime. Yeah, I was just kidding. Okay. <laughs> uh, sarcasm doesn't translate well uh, online. Oops. <laughs> but my last note on Kiki is that so far these movies have kind of ended abruptly like they just sort of there's a big climax and then people hug and and they celebrate and then it ends yes i mean uh i guess you know leave on a high note but like but like where's more <laughs> yeah it's, i mean that's a good question because like okay, i wanted to know more about kiki what's that like, I wanted to know more about Kiki's life after this town. Yeah, it leaves you with lots of questions and kind of leaves you blue-balled, really. Like, hmm. you kind of want more. That's fair. Um, well, so that's my review uh, on Kiki, but I do have a couple facts. So, like I said earlier, this film was based on a book um, by a Japanese woman. And the location was actually influenced by Stockholm, Sweden in the movie. Mm. Very cool. Um, I looked at some pictures of, of Stockholm and it looks beautiful. Hmm. They actually had a live action movie in 2013. And uh, so I kind of wanted to know why Gigi like, couldn't talk at, uh, towards, towards, the, towards the end and what I found was, so basically, this is like a, a really long uh, thing, but basically, okay, so Kiki and Gigi were uh, were raised uh, from in infancy, and that's pretty much why they can talk. But, you know, it's not magical. It's just that because they were raised, um, you know, since, since birth, they can communicate with each other hmm. and basically a witch a bond between a witch and her cat is like a sacred intimate bond so when kiki leaves for the new city uh you know she's always flying with with uh with her her cat so it sort of serves as like a security for her and 
Miyazaki wanted some like tension.、Mm. So, so in order for Kiki to like fully grow up, she needed to be able to travel the the city with with like no flight, no broom, and no one to keep her company, her cat. So that's why she lost her her magic and couldn't talk to Gigi because it because it served as a way to like make her grow up、uh, quicker. But、um, Gigi was basically Kiki's immature side, so she she sort of needed to shed her immaturity to become a well-rounded witch and a well-rounded person. That's so sad. Really? I think that's sad. Yeah, Gigi is like the coolest cat. Well, it's not all sad. Like, like、uh, Mizaki said that that、um, they can still like talk, just not verbally. Like, they can still understand each other, just not through words like they used to. Gotcha.、Uh, because、um, in in one of the first scenes of the movie, I think it was、um, Kiki's mom. Like she was like doing something with Gigi, but they weren't talking, right?、Mm-hmm. Or, or, or like doing something with with her her own cat, but they weren't talking. So that was like a foreshadowing of what would come later. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That's that's all. How is that cat still alive as that、uh, woman is adult? It's 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 probably magic. Okay. Yeah, magic cat. Nine lives. Yeah. You know. You know.、Uh, this is my final thoughts, but. This for Kiki to be a witch and there to be like magic in this world, there wasn't really much magic. I agree. You know? Like were... the only thing was flying. Yeah.、Huh. There wasn't like any wands or like throwing from your hands of magic. It was just like I I don't know. Maybe a lot of people consider magic as like potions and remedies versus like. Straight up, like pulling something out of your hand, or like using a stick to f- configure something.、Hmm. Yeah.、Um, but I wonder. Okay, so this is like a fun theory that I just thought of. What if Mary and the Witch's Flower and this movie were in the same world? That would be so dope. I see you, <laughs> and I know exactly what you're talking about because I was just thinking about the same thing. It's like the same world. So then, why doesn't Kiki go to the school and learn to become a witch? Yeah, that would be dope. That's a sequel right there. I think that's what the Mary and the Witch's Flower is. It's the sequel, sequel? to Kiki's Delight. <laughs> yeah, that's a good theory. I like that. And the grandma is like a cousin of Kiki.、Hmm. I like that. Yes.、Um, do you have any final thoughts on Kiki? This was one of my favorite films growing up. I watched it literally over and over again until my mom got sick of it. Yeah,、uh, yeah. This one was actually my first Miyazaki film, and I actually got it from the library when I was like six or seven, and it stuck in my head, you know, throughout through through the years, and and、uh, it holds a special place in my heart. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the history of Porco Rosso. Porco Rosso is originally supposed to have been a short film that was produced by Japan Japanese Airlines and was supposed to be an in-flight film, but due to a lot of 
political issues in the time and push for a more somber film, Porco Rosso became an extended film and a full feature. Um, it was released in July of 1992 and remained a very successful film for several years afterwards, but it does have a lot of mature situations and mature content for being a Ghibli film. Compared to a lot of other films, this is much more mature. It has smoking, it has sexual innuendos, like kind of like child-like sexual innuendos. Um, it does have death, it does have war. Um, there is a lot of more mature content in this film than there is in any other Ghibli film. Um, so the premise is a young pilot is in the midst of an Italian fascism when his entire squadron gets shot down except for him. Because of this mishap, he is turned into a pig and has to live out his entire life as such until he finds a young engineer who builds him an entire plane from scratch after he gets shot out of the air. The young engineer is a girlfriend named Fio and ends up becoming a savior after a long and arduous battle with an American pilot who is after Fio's hand in marriage. So the character Porco Rosso is Italian for red pig, which is funny because this time in this movie takes place in the 1930s in Italy, which is the height of Italian fascism and where fascism originates from. Um, Mussolini was the dictator during that time, and he used fascist ideals to control people. So there's a lot of really cool tie-in with this film and how Miyazaki and his background relates to this. And I'm going to get into that because I didn't realize when we started this and when we learned about more, more about Miyazaki that he was a political scientist and like he learned political science and he got his degree in that which is great because i have one too so this is excellent so the tie-in is that fascism is one of many political spectrums and the fact that he'd made an entire film about world war one and fascism and the entire Italy Mussolini regime is just fascinating. And he used flight, the extension of flight, to explain a lot of these things in war to help prolong or help extend this film and show the, the issue that became fascism. So that's well, the kind of the tie-in. All right, so Porco Rosso, the character, is played by Michael Keaton. There's other characters that are played by other famous actors, such as um, Carrie Ilwes, Susan Egan, Brad Garrett. I mean, this is, this is the American film. So there's a lot of really good actors in this film. The entire plot has that same kind of feel of, like, where is this really going? But in the end, it's more or less about love and less about war. So I kind of compared this to Grave of Fireflies because that movie was about war and death. So Porco Rosso is about war, but it's also a lot more about love than Grave of the Fireflies, in my personal opinion. Yeah, this, this sounds like probably one of his most 
like plot driven work so far? Would you say so? I would say so because they do play a lot about the war and like how that affected everybody. Um, in that, especially in that region, there was a lot of issues of people leaving because the fascist regime was so tyrannical and Porco Rosso's character was one of them. He became kind of an outlaw because he was evading the Italian army. Um, and as a reminder to people, fascism killed so many people and destroyed so many people's lives. So to see this as a film, and it, I mean, to me, it's kind of like um, The Aviator. It's, it's a war movie and it's about the war that took place during this time. Um, but yeah, so it was released in 1992 and yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. And, and I haven't seen this, so I don't, I can't really, in, in, uh, in, in, input, input much or embark, uh, yeah. to implement to my... input. <laughs> yeah, that that's fine. But, um, yeah, so you mentioned that, that this was like, this started as like a brochure or something and like a 45 minute in-flight film mm -hmm. for an airline, right? And yep. that's the same for like Kiki and, and some of his other works where they started off as like smaller projects, but they just sort of like kept growing into their own thing. Hmm. I think that's Miyazaki for you. Once he grabs onto something, he doesn't let go until he's completely satisfied. Which is, uh, it's very hard to satisfy that man. He's, he's a very yeah. uh, particular person. <laughs> I bet it would be hard to be his wife. <laughs> um, actually, that's an interesting, I don't think we have any... Any information about yeah. his family, except oh, for his that, son. Yeah, because I think that he got married in his 20s, so we should have, like, covered that by now, but I think... Uh, I want to say she's an animator too, but no, she's not important. She's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll uh cover that next week. We'll have to look but, up that information. Yeah, but I'm looking here on more voices, and Frank Welker is on here. That that that's that's the voice of a. Uh, How did I miss that? Yeah, and and many others. Yeah, this was an extraordinary film. I definitely recommend watching it if you're into politics, into history. Even though it's got this like odd twist of like magic, it's still such a good film for the era and how fascism upset the balance of a lot of people's lives. As it should. But anyway, um, what I like about Miyazaki's works going going through these so far is that they're very um diverse because we've seen okay so you said like this there's like a historical sort of like a political thing mm -hmm. and 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 we've done some fantasy stuff with like like magic as well as like a heist movie with cag with cag, cag, cagliostro and like environmental stuff with nausicaa it's very like he's not a a one-trick pony and i can appreciate that in his work absolutely which you know makes me like him so much more and i've been talking a lot more about him since we started this and about how he compares to other animators and other studios 
in that he's so far different compared to Disney. He's so far different compared to Pixar, um, any Cartoon Network and stuff that comes out, Nickelodeon. I mean, these are all American studios, and I don't know enough Japanese studios to compare him to. But, but even other films like Akira, they're just so different. And I would say, I would go so far as to say that he's better than Disney as far as the reach and the impact he's made on creation and the creativity that goes behind animation. Yeah, I think with, with Miyazaki and, and like European animated movies and such, um, they don't, okay, they trust their audience to pick up like small things and the nuances of the story. And I kind of wish that Western movies would be able to like that that they would trust their audience to to like I agree be be patient and to sort of um like simmer in in the emotion the artist, yeah, yeah with with the, with the artist is trying to convey and that's goes back to like that how to draw comics uh, book that I lent you about the difference between Western and Eastern comics you know like that slow progression of story that takes place even in comics compared to the west and we are force-fed so much information we are force-fed like you need to feel this this way you need to understand that this character is this and they do this when they do this versus like the subtleties where you are given hints, but you're not force-fed the plot. You're not force-fed um, character differentiation. You're given a character and then told, not not told, you're allowed imagination. Yeah, I think that's a really important part of storytelling is, is uh, you, okay, so, in Western movies, they fill in the colors for you, right? But in like European and like uh, Eastern stuff, um, they sort of just hand you a box of colors and let you f uh, fill in the colors how you want to. It's beautiful. Yeah. And um, the, that, that book that you mentioned, the How to Make Comics by like Scott something, right? Uh, yeah. That's a really good book. Um, plug in yeah plug uh it's it's a really good book i recommend that um definitely highly yeah. recommend so i believe that is it for our this week's of month Miyazaki. so next week we will be discussing princess mononoke and spirited away stay tuned for that please like share subscribe and we will see you soon And please share us with your friends and family as we would love to continue this podcast about your favorite animations. All of the information here is researched by Sarah and Garrison, and this podcast is produced and edited by Sarah Zadri. 
Special thanks to Joshua Phillips for the theme music. All while doing our research, we come across some amazing little videos and shots about the process of animation, and we will be happy to share this information with you on our site, www.podsaga.com. And if you have any questions about the animations we will be covering, please don't hesitate to ask. Thank you and have a good day.